Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. We're going to give you the whole chapter for a few minutes tonight. We're only going to read verses 1 to 8 right now. You read aloud where you're at at home, and I hope you're standing right now at home as we read the scriptures together from the King James Version of the Bible. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And we had opened the third seal. I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and the hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. You know, when you read a book, you come to the end of the book, and the author puts at the end those two famous words. The end. The end means the story's over. The book is finished. We've come to the conclusion. The end means a cessation, a closure. That everything you knew before that has come to its terminal point. Jesus, in Matthew 24, was asked the question, when will the end come. Tonight I want to preach you a series of messages that deal perhaps the most serious, the most cataclysmic time period ever on planet earth. And we're going to see tonight part one entitled, The End of All Things. The End of All Things. Father, bless your word tonight. You've given us enough to know what the future holds. Yet I'm thankful you hold the future. We thank you tonight there are no surprises with God. And you give us enough to know, to know what's going to happen in the future. So that we can be confident. So that we can have security. So that, Lord... Our anxieties and fears can rest in you. I pray tonight for some who are anxious, who are jittery, who are worried, who have been laid off, whose finances are draining or perhaps all drained, who have loved ones in critical conditions, whose health is waning, Perhaps they're in a time place, they're a place in their life where their sleep has been disrupted by nightmares, bad dreams, anxieties. Perhaps some, Lord, right now, unbeknownst to anyone but them, have become addicted to opiates, to medications, perhaps even to liquor 
to drugs and such like. And there could be some watching this evening who are looking for an answer. And tonight we acknowledge you are the answer. You are the solution. And that, Lord, you have the answer from your word. Tonight, in a powerful way, I pray that the Holy Spirit would visit every living room, every family room, every kitchen, every cubicle, perhaps some who are driving in their cars right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd have our undivided attention. I pray that hardened hearts would become soft and souls that are indifferent would become on fire again. And those who are very distant from God would draw near to God because the Bible says, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. We pray, God, that there will be resolvement and peace in families and homes. And I pray for a great anticipation, a great desire to come back to the house of God and to be like David said, I will be like an olive tree in the house of my God. Oh God, tonight, we want to bring forth this message in such a way that your people are sanctified through your truth. And we want to bring this message in such a way that, Lord, it will cause us to be watchful, to watch and pray, because we know that our redemption draweth nigh. Father, bless your word in the life of every one of your precious children. Do a holy and great work in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're in Revelation chapter 6. John was given a vision by the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapters 4 and 5, he got a glimpse of the rapture. He got a glimpse and shared with us the praise in heaven. And last week in chapter 5, we saw where God was holding a book that had seven seals Seven different scrolls that were sealed by seven different seals, culminating in what he just called one book. And John wept, he said, who can, as he heard the phrase, the question, who can open this book? And thank God Jesus stood as the Lamb of God. And all through Revelation, from here to chapter 6 to chapter 19, Jesus is the Lamb who prevails. Jesus is the Lamb who is all great potentate. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who prevails in opening these seals. And beginning here in verse 1, we see the Lamb of God opening these seals. Tonight, we're looking at the seven-sealed book, and six of the seals are going to be opened by the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6 through 19 present to us a time period that is forthcoming, a time period known as the Great Tribulation. Now, Jesus Describe this time period. He's actually the one that gave it the name, the Great Tribulation, in Matthew 24, 21. In Matthew 13, verses 40 and 49, he calls it the end of the world. John referred to it in John chapter 2, verse 22, as the Great Tribulation. And in chapter 3, verse 10, he called it the time of great temptation. Jeremiah calls this time, this time frame as the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 37. And as, and as he calls it the time of Jacob's trouble, it's a time of great trial on the nation of Israel. Daniel called it Daniel's 70th week, and in Daniel chapter 12, verse 9, he calls it the time of the end. It is often referred to as the day of the Lord. It starts after the church is raptured out. In Revelation 14, 7, it is referred to as the hour of his judgment. And notice in chapter 6, verse 17, where we're reading tonight, it's referred to as the great day of the wrath of God. Now, you better put your seatbelt on tonight, because the great tribulation is the worst time period ever on planet Earth. When you read over there in Genesis 7 about the time of the flood, the deluge, that was an awful time. And you can imagine that Noah and his family, as they were on that ark, bodies, bodies floating all over planet Earth that had been killed off by the great deluge. That is nothing compared to what is described here in the Great Tribulation. And when we look at the Tribulation, it's seven horrific years divided into two time periods. Two time periods of three and a half years each. And as we look at those two time periods, the first half is known as the Tribulation, 
But the latter half is referred to very immensely as the Great Tribulation. If we were to divide this up and think about what is the tribulation, we see the time, we see terror, and we see a tyrant. We're going to see the great personality who will dominate and rule and will lead. And in fact, he's alluded to here in the, in the, in the opening of these seals here. Revelation 6 gives us a sneak preview, as I said. Each of the seals that is opened signifies events that will happen during that great tribulation period. The Holy Spirit's presence is taken out of this world. As soon as we're raptured out, the Holy Spirit's taken out. We read about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as he that letteth is gone. He's, 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 he's removed himself out of this world. And his presence right now is wooing sinners to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The grace of God is working through the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit's taken out, as we saw in our previous study, the Holy Spirit's presence during the seven-year tribulation will be one of judgment upon Israel and upon the world. This evening, we're going to look at the opening of these first six seals. Beginning tonight, we're going to see a broad landscape view. And then we're going to look at specific incidences of time, specific incidences of things that will happen during the tribulation period. I've broken down our chapter tonight into four points. I want you to begin with me noticing verse 1. I want you to see number 1. We're going to see in verses 1 to 8 the opening of these seven seals. And what you notice tonight in verses 1 to 8, we see first of all the creepy messengers. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard as it were the noise of thunder. When the seal is broken open by our Savior. A storm of epic proportion is about to hit all of planet Earth. The noise of thunder. Thunder announces a storm that's coming. When Jesus opens that seal, things are going to break loose. And the, one of the four beasts that is around the throne of God said to John, Come and see. And John records for us what he sees here. And notice we see... Four horses with riders, sometimes alluded to as the four horsemen. Whenever we see them, we're reminded that it's God's judgment upon the earth. Remember, the number four is the number of man. It's the number of earth. And we see here the judgment of God during the tribulation, beginning with the opening of the first seal. Notice the first horse rider we see is mentioned here. It says, and he, that he says, that I saw and behold a white horse. Horses represent military strength and power. Proverbs 21.31 tells us the horse is prepared for the day of battle. Horses, as we see here, are symbol of God's activity on the earth. We find an allusion to that over in the book of Jeremiah. And this first horse we see, the first seal is open. This horse, I, I, I name him the horse which is called Conquest. The Bible says in verse 2, And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now I want you to notice as we study the crowns, there's two types of crowns that we find described in Scripture. There's the Stephanos crown, which is what this is referring to. The Stephanos crown was the victor's crown. The other crown is what we call the diadem. Now the diadem was a golden crown. Only one person wears that diadem, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wears that diadem. This rider, as we see, this horse rider, has the appearance, when you read this, like when you read through all the Revelation, you get to chapter 19, is this speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because, because some will look at this and say, was this the Lord Jesus Christ? Here we see this man who has a crown, and he's on a white horse. But this is not Jesus Christ. This is, if you would, a picture. This is the Antichrist. This man pictures the one world leader during the seven-year tribulation. He's called the Antichrist. He's referred to in Revelation 13 as the beast. Daniel refers to him as the prince which is to come. He is called the Antichrist. He is the man of sin, 
the son of perdition. He's the beast. He's not Jesus. He makes himself look like Jesus, but he's not Jesus. He is a false prophet. He is a false leader. He is not Jesus Christ, but he leads people to believe that he is Christ. Notice, first of all, it says he's on a white horse. Well, Jesus is on a white horse also. But unlike Jesus, this man has a crown. Jesus wears many crowns. This man has a bow, but without arrows. And he goes forth conquering and to conquer. He's a false Jesus. He will become the ruler or the king of this world. We'll say more about him in a little bit. He has a bow, but no arrows, because this man will conquer the world without even having to use wars without even having to use weapons, even though there will be wars and weapons. This man will enact peace treaties with Israel and with the kingdoms of this world, and with just a bow, he will conquer, he will go forth conquering and to conquer. Notice the Bible is very specific here in verse 2. It says, a crown was given unto him. The people of the world will be so enamored and so in love with this man's persuasive speech, with his political savvy, with his government know-how, with his ability to get governments and people together on a table, and there at that table to get them together in a peace bag. This man will be unlike any other world leader. He'll be the culmination of every leader that's ever happened, the sum total of all their personality strength, and then beyond all that. This man is the energization of Satan. He is Satan's puppet. He is Satan's toy. He is Satan's puppet to be used to bring about the agenda of Satan upon this world, because Satan is the god of this world. He will seduce and deceive the people of the world. Notice the Bible says a crown was given to him. The people want this man to be the ruler over all them. If you followed our news during this pandemic, we're getting a small foretaste of what that's going to all be like. We've seen leaders in different realms, governors, mayors, other leaders who've taken a leading role, enacted certain decisions. And I think about just the other day as we made a delivery to one of our hospitals. With masks on, we were talking. I was talking with one of the workers there. And she said this, I'm so thankful for our governor that he's done all these things. She went off on this long description, which basically described her enamorment with our governor. And as much as people may right now have a political persuasion and desire for a certain leader, I'll remind you tonight that during the tribulation, that this one who comes on a white horse with a crown and a bow conquering and to conquer, this one will present himself as the king of all kings on earth, but he's not greater than the king of kings. And he'll present himself as the greatest of all world leaders. And he'll be energized in such a way that people will love him and people will worship him. But I remind you tonight, he's not Jesus. He's a false Jesus. We'll say more about this man later. But John got a foretaste of this antichrist, this leader on a white horse. Then notice in verse 3 and 4, Jesus opens the second seal. The first seal represents conquest. Notice in verses 3 to 4, the second seal represents conflict. When he'd opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse. And this was a red horse. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And it's interesting, the word for sword is the Greek word makaira. The word makaira describes the assassin's sword. The second seal is open, and this rider on the red horse represents killings, assassinations, murders, 
beheadings, genocide, perhaps even pandemics as we'll see in a minute. As we read Matthew 24, we get an insight to this. Notice again in verse 4, it says, Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Jesus describes the tribulation time period as a time of great hatred. Much publicity, media attention has been given, and rightly so. But a young black individual man was out jogging in a neighborhood in Georgia. And two men who had connections to the white supremacists chased after him and shot him in cold blood. And when we think about something like that, our blood boils. We get angry about those things. But I remind you that during the tribulation period, when the second seal is open, that will be a natural occurrence on every street, on every corner, in every city, in every county. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 10, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. I imagine during the tribulation, there will be assassinations. I imagine that there will be military coups. I imagine that there will be revolutions and uprisings, and many riots, and many bloodsheds, and many wars. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Hey, listen, we see the second seal is open, and there will be killings, killings. Hatred leads to murder. Christian friend, I urge you tonight to guard your heart very carefully. To guard your heart from resentment turning into hatred. Hatred into malice. Malice into injury or even worse. You imagine that time period? Bioweapons and weapons of mass destruction were run amok. Tyrants of hostile nations to democracies and republics go amok. Revolutionary groups running wild and just killing off groups of people. World War I. They indicated there were 37 million civilian and active at duty deaths. World War II, 58 million deaths. The last 50 years, they detail somewhere around 50 million people have died through wars, revolutions, and such like. But when we see that the second seal is open, this rider on the red horse, that seven-year time period will be nothing but bloodshed and murders and wars. No nation will be exempt. No group of people will be exempt. Every single nation will experience that. We see the first seal represents conquest. The second seal represents conflicts. Notice the third seal. Another beast comes and tells John to come. He says, come and see. And in verse 5, he says, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld a low, a black horse, a rider on a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances or scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou heard not the oil and wine. Listen, we see the beast that represented conquest, and we see a beast that represented conflict. But I want you to notice, we see a beast that represents collapse. Visually, someone holding a pair of scales back in that time, colorfully represented finances. Economic decision-making. And verses 5 and 6 are describing to us 
worldwide global financial collapse. I read where in Venezuela, because of the hyperinflation there a few years ago, people were literally pushing wheelbarrows of money just to buy one meal, similar to what they did in Germany during World War II. Can you imagine a world setting of hyperinflation, of a defunct economy, of currencies that have failed? Look at the description here. He's holding these balances in his hand, and he says, a measure of wheat for a penny. In other words, one quart of wheat for a penny, three quarts of barley for a penny. Now, to bring that down to understanding what that means, a penny or denarius was a day's wages. A day's wages. A quart of wheat, three quarts of barley, was enough, was the minimum for a man's meal, if you can imagine that. One quart of wheat, three quarts of barley, was the equivalent of one man's meal. Not one family, one man's meal. And things will be so upside down and so desperate there will be food rationing such as the world has never seen, where man, just to get by, will have to spend a day's wages just to buy one meal. A day's wages for just one meal. Economic collapse. There's going to be widespread hunger. 120-something million around the world, maybe 126, 130 million people around the world suffer from hunger. It's interesting. Hatred results in wars. Wars lead to famines. Money will reach an all-time devaluation. Paper currency, credit cards, PayPal, whatever it may be we use, it's all going to be gone. It won't work. All the currencies of the world. And by the way, if you just look at right now, how much money has been given to Americans in this pandemic. And they're talking about now getting momentum where a majority of the Americans would be entitled, if they get it passed, to getting $2,000 a month, which sounds really good. Folks, you don't understand. If you're for that, you don't realize what that means in terms of our economy and our taxes. We're so far in debt, all they're doing is just printing more money. I want you to understand that during that time period, securities, even gold, real estate, commodities, all of it would be worthless. It'll be a defunct economy around the world. There'll be no money exchanged during that time. And then notice something else in verse, verse 6. He makes a statement here. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now when you find oil and wine, those are luxuries. Those are luxuries. And what it's saying to us is that the super wealthy, listen to me now, the super wealthy will still be in control and manipulating what's going on in the economies. They'll be working in cahoots with the Antichrist. Now I wish I had time to get into this a little bit with you because I've been a student of this since I was about 20, 21 years of age. Most of the wealth in the world is centered among the super wealthy. And if everything, as they've said, if ever all the money in the world was redistributed equally to every person in the world, the super wealthy are so shrewd and so energized, they, most of the wealth would be back in their hands in a matter of days. See thou hurt not the oil and wine. Hey, you listen to me. The super wealthy will not fail during that time. 
They'll still be in control of things. They'll still be pulling the strings. You, they, they are people that there are few of the elite that you hear their names every now and then, and, they, and, the, and the meeting wants to get their opinion about things, and then there are those that you never hear about because they're pulling the strings behind the scenes. We'll see economic collapse. We'll see conflicts. We'll see a world leader that's conquering. But notice in verses 7 and 8, the fourth seal is open. And we're going to see carnage. Great carnage. Look at verses 7 and 8. When you open the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And this horse and this rider had a name. And his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. Listen, death claims the body. Hell claims the soul. Death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. It's interesting this fourth horse is a pale color. I looked at the word pale. It's the Greek word chloros. There's a famous bleach by the name that follows the same name, chloros. It's the same yellowish, pale green color. That's literally what it's talking about here. A yellowish, pale green color. The look of death on a person who's starting to, when, when, when they start to the change and the decaying process is working in their body. The fourth horse, the fourth seal that's broken, represents widespread death on all of planet Earth. Now remember, we're out of it. Hey, beloved, the church is gone. We're not there, amen? But I want you to understand those left behind, as the Bible describes in verse 8, one-fourth of the world's population will die through killings, hunger, famines, pestilences, and with the beasts of the earth. Go with me and look at, if you would, the word death in verse 8. The word for death is the word thanatos. Thanatos also refers to plagues and pestilences. They're one and the same. And I think it's Revelation 14 or 15 or 16. It speaks in the last three and a half years of some awful pestilences that will be on planet Earth. People will die because of pestilences. COVID-19 is a pestilence. COVID-19 has claimed somewhere around 78, 79,000 lives worldwide. It is mutating. It is morphing. Yes, it attacks the lungs and respiratory system. But virologists and doctors, even today, are saying that no one was expecting a disease that would not fit the pattern of pneumonia and respiratory illness. That's today from the Washington Post. It is a disease that is attacking the heart, that's leading to kidney damage, and some patients having to go on dialysis. It is a disease attacking the nervous system taking away the senses of taste and smelling. It's creating blood clots that can fit, kill with sudden efficiency. It's causing what they call COVID toes. I mean, this, this disease is something that is morphing to a degree. Virologists and doctors are not really sure what they're dealing with right now. Now, we're not in the tribulation now. Did you hear what I said? We're not in the tribulation now. But when the tribulation comes, 
there will be pestilences of epic proportions, killing off wide swaths of people. And then notice here, he speaks about death by the sword, and death by hunger, and death by pestilences. And then he says, with the beasts of the earth. And I don't know about you, but I used to wonder about the word beast. What does that mean? Back in Europe, during the dark period of time, they had a pestilence that was known as the Black Death. Remember that? The bubonic plague. You know who carried the bubonic plague through Europe? One-third of the European population died over five years. It was a four-legged creature known as the rat. There's great likelihood most, most students of prophecy right now, I'm talking about experts in prophecy who've studied this out, are of the opinion and belief that these beasts could very well likely be rats because of how they proliferate. Rats give birth to several litters during a year's time. Rats carry all kinds of diseases, typhoid and other types of diseases. You let a, you let a, a just rats running around somewhere, and man, that, that just, there's disease everywhere with that. And then I think about the fact of all of this. I think of bacterias, nightmare bacterias, that are resistant to antibiotics and other medications. I think of bacterias, viruses that are running wild, super viruses, resistant to any kind of drugs, viruses that mutate and cannot be contained. Hey, you know, we're living right now, you know, everybody's hoping they'll have a, some kind of a vaccine, and that's a whole different discussion there, some kind of vaccine to vaccinate the people to kind of help them against this. And my, my concern about that, just to be real candid with you, is that, number one, by the time they arrive at that, what will the current disease mutate to be? Will the vaccine even work? My second con concern I have with that is the vaccine becomes a means by which they can insert biotracers into your bloodstream and find you. And that being one step leading to perhaps the, the mark of the beast, if you know what I mean. And we look at these four seals that are opened. And imagine the Apostle John, his eyes getting bigger and bigger and bigger as he's watching a horse rider that represents conquest, a false Christ, an antichrist, a beast, second beast and rider that represents conflicts and killings, beheadings, martyrdom, assassinations, genocide. Racial cop, all these things, murders on the street, wide-scale murders and killings. A third beast and writer that represents economic collapse, the failure of money, starvation and famine. A fourth beast, which represents death that circles the globe through pandemics, pande pestilences, killings, Famines and such like. Sin, hatred, wars, famine, death, and hell. Look at verse 8 again. And I looked and behold a pale horse. The look of death. And his name that sat on him was death and hell. During the tribulation, death will claim the bodies. Hell will claim the souls. Number one tonight, we see these creepy messengers. Quickly tonight, number two, notice in verses 9 to 11, we see Christ's martyrs. We see a shifting. And you can imagine that John is seeing these four seals that are open. And probably in his mind, he's wondering, I wonder what the next three are going to tell me. Because it's unleashing before his very eyes what will transpire during the seven-year tribulation. 
And notice in verse 9, the fifth seal is open. And the fifth seal, verses 9 to 11, represents people who get saved during the tribulation period, who are martyred for the faith. People who get saved during the tribulation period who are martyred for the faith. Let me interject something here doctrinally before I get into this. If right now you're not saved and you have a loved one that's not saved that's heard the gospel, they've heard at least one presentation of the gospel. They've read at least one gospel tract. They've heard me preach the gospel at least one time. And we get raptured out of this world. They have yet to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. That person who's heard the gospel, a thorough explanation, and did not get saved, they will not get saved during the tribulation period. Because they will believe a lie, the spirit of deception that will be sent into the world. So when we look at this passage here, notice in verse 9 it says, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now who are these people? Well, notice, first of all, we want to consider the conversions of these people. These are people who get saved after the rapture. But they're not the people I just described who rejected the gospel before the rapture. Those people will believe a lie. The people who get saved here, I believe, the majority of what's being spoken here, if not all of them, are Jewish people that get saved that are referred to later on in Revelation chapter 7. Notice in Romans 11, it gives us some insight here. Romans 11, verses 25 to 27. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. That's talking about right now. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, become in. And so, notice verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and, turn, turn, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my commandment unto them, when I shall take away their sins. And I believe there is going to be a plethora of Jews that are going to get saved during the tribulation. We read about in chapter 7, at least of 144,000 of them, and I believe there'll be more than that. You're going to say, well, if we're removed, how are they going to get saved? I think there's two means that's going to happen. Means number one, the Word of God is still here. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall never pass away. Hey, there are going to be copies of Bibles that are going to be left behind. I believe some of these Jewish people are going to awake and they're going to see what's going on because this, this Antichrist will establish during the first three and a half years a false peace, uh, a peace pact with, with Israel. Israel. Jews by the hordes will come back to Jerusalem. The temple will be rebuilt during the time in record time. And they're going to be there just in this delusional situation thinking everything's well. And, they're going to, and then when the beast turns against them, when the Antichrist turns against them, many of them are going to realize that this is prophecy being fulfilled. And there will be Jews that will be getting saved because they're going to reach forth for those Bibles that are left behind. But I think there's a second means. We're going to read later on, I think in chapter 11, about two witnesses that God's going to raise up. Two great evangelists that will have the similarities of Elijah and Moses. These two great prophets will preach the word of God and hordes of people will get saved during that time. I believe these people will get saved because of those two evangelists. But we see these people here. Notice in verses 9 to 11. These people are saved that they're talking about here. These are people that got saved. I believe the majority, if not all of them, are Jews that get saved during that time. But we see the cause. When John saw, it was given to him that these were Jews that got saved. Jews just like him. And he saw this great altar. And he said, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were slain, notice, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These Jews who get saved, they will be the evangelists that, well, Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, that will take the gospel around the world. Whatever we haven't completed, 
Whatever we haven't done, they will more than compensate for. These Jews, these 144,000 evangelists will take the gospel of Jesus Christ and circle the world. They'll do more for the gospel in a short period of time than we've done during our lifetime. And the Antichrist will become very angry that these Jews have taken the gospel. They've converted. They've gotten saved. And the Bible describes it this way. They took a stand for the word of God and for the testimony they held. And they are slain. They are martyred for their faith. Persecution is going on right now. The numbers are all over the place. But there's a large population of believers that are in prison camps in North Korea. There's a large number of believers being killed every day in the country of Nigeria by the terrorist groups there. ISIS has been known to kill many, many Christians and believers. Just this week alone on May 3rd, a video hit the internet of a church in Fujian province, a house church in Fujian province, that was having a service. And a raid, the police came in and raided them. And they did such a horrific raid, they took the pastor and several men and beat them up. And these believers stood up courageously and tried to defend themselves. And you'll hear in the background them singing Amazing Grace in Chinese. But they took a stand in spite of the fact that many of them were taken out and imprisoned. There's a price to pay during the tribulation for getting saved. There's a price to pay with your life. Listen, there'll be a boldness that will, in, that will fill the hearts of believers during that time where they'll take a stand for Christ. But what John saw here when the fifth seal was opened, he saw these people for their cause, these believers who got saved. They weren't silent believers, and they weren't people that went into hiding. Listen, they were bold in their faith for Jesus Christ. Let me say tonight to the church of the living God, let's be bold in our faith. Let's proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. Notice the consequence. The Bible says, very interestingly, in verse 9, their souls were under the altar. Exodus 29 gives us some insight to that. When a sacrifice was killed, its blood was poured out under the altar, Exodus 29, 12. And God is saying here, as John saw this, he knew his Bible. He saw under the altar the souls of them. God accepted the sacrificial, the sacrifice of the lives of these believers for the sake of the gospel. He, being under the altar meant that he held their sacrifice in high esteem. He held their sacrifices, honoring and pleasing to God. You know, the shed blood of an animal back in that time, the shed blood of the lamb or of a bull or of a goat, satisfied the just demands of God for sin. But I want to tell you, these believers didn't die for sin, but they died for the Savior. They died because they believed in what they, 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 they held true to what they believed in. And they said, it's worth living for Jesus and it's worth dying for Jesus. May I tell you tonight, if there's anything we could do for the sake of the gospel, let's do all that we can and not be ashamed of Jesus Christ and tell as many people as we can about the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned this morning, I'm going to mention to you right now, before we reassemble as a church, I urge us as a church to be more soul conscious than we've ever been before. I want you to start taking inventory of people that you know and people that you meet and that you'll start texting on our prayer page line, 925-364-5075. You'll start texting us the names of people that you're burdened for. I want you to engage me to help lead people to Christ. This past week, a family that we've been ministering to, I'm thankful for a mother and then her daughter that got saved and then the daughter's husband getting saved and then a brother getting saved and numerous other family members getting saved. This past Friday, one of the relatives, a, a niece of the family, sent a message that, that to Brother Justin through one of our means, and he forwarded it to me, saying, I'm having a lot of burdens and concerns. Would you pray for me? And then not long after that, I got a message from one of the aunties, and she said, Pastor Fong, could you contact my niece because she's got a lot of great anxiety, and just many things happening, and perhaps this is an open door for this, this, this young lady to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we just completed a Zoom Bible study that night, and after that Bible study, I had my wife next to me, 
we got on the phone with this young lady who's a, a young woman that lives in another state, and God gave us about 45 to 50 minutes, maybe even an hour of time to just walk through some things and to encourage her, but we got to get the gospel there uninhibited, unimpaired, and after the presentation of the gospel, this dear lady, she realized at that moment in time she needed Jesus Christ as Savior, and there that night, right before 9 o'clock p.m. on Friday night, she bowed her head and repented of her sins and called on the name of the Lord to save her. Hey, listen, tonight, I'm telling you, we need to get everybody we can into heaven as soon as possible. Let's not come back to church lethargic and indifferent and callous and lukewarm. Let's come back to church with a great sense of urgency that we want to see people saved. Hey, to use this opportunity now to help me get your family members saved, to help me get your, your loved ones to hear the gospel and leave it to them to make a decision. They'll trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Then we notice these Christ martyrs, their cry. Verse 10, they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge the, and avenge the, our blood on them that dwell on the earth? That's kind of interesting. When Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. It's very interesting as we read chapter 6, verse 10, there's a dispensational change. They're calling on God to deal with those who persecuted them. You see, it's kind of like the blood of Abel after Cain martyred Abel. Because you have to remember, the Bible is filled with the stories and the record of those who gave their life for the sake of the gospel. Listen, Abel believed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Abel was an evangelist. Abel was a prophet of God through his own life. And when his own brother killed him, the blood of Abel cried out for justice. Hey, I'm going to tell you, when we get to the tribulation time, the souls of those people under the altar, they're going to be crying out for justice from our Lord. And I want you to understand something. The deaths that will occur for the, set, for, the, for the sake of the gospel, the majority of those deaths will be, if not all, will be beheadings. We're already seeing a foretaste of that through ISIS. You say, how do you know it's going to be beheading? Because Revelation 20 verse 4 tells us that. These martyrs are crying out for justice. How long, O oh Lord? And notice in verse 10, we're going to see a phrase that recurs over and over again. Them that dwell on the earth. There's a differentiation between earth dwellers and those who are in heaven. But we see in verse 11, we see the comfort of these who have suffered for Christ. They're given white robes, every one of them. They're given rest. For a little season, because there'll be more that'll be killed during the tribulation. They will see the Lord answer their prayer in verse 11, because this is a prayer. The Lord is answering their prayer by taking retribution upon those who've hurt them. And you'll get over there to Revelation 14, verses 18 to 20. And that retribution, we're going to see as God takes out justice upon all those who have killed. Listen, the blood of those who, those murderers, the blood of those terrible people during that time will rise to the horse's bridle, the Bible says. We'll read later on in Revelation 20, verse 4, that they're rewarded. They will live and reign forever with Jesus Christ. The history of the church is the blood of the martyrs. The Center for Global Study Christianity states that 100,000 Christians have been killed each year, each year, between the years 2000 and 2010. Abel died at the hands of his brother. Isaiah, tradition says Isaiah was sawn in half by Manasseh. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herodias. Stephen was killed by those same people he preached the gospel to. James was killed with a sword. Polycarp was burned at the stake. February 2015, ISIS did a campaign of rounding up Christians in Libya. They found a pocket of believers who had immigrated from other countries in that area to Libya for work. And it was discovered by ISIS that these people were worshiping God. And ISIS did a raid and rounded up 
a number of them. In this picture you see tonight, there were 20 that were rounded up that were known believers. But there were actually 21 that were beheaded that day. And ISIS started from the very first believer and they said, will you renounce your faith in Jesus Christ? That believer, just to the to his credit, and like those who here in verse 9, said, no, I will not renounce my faith. Jesus is my Savior. And immediately the knife came out and he was beheaded. And it went from one person to the other. The 21st person was a man who was not a believer. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the, right, at the wrong time, if you could put it that way. His, math, his name was Matthew Ayagra. Matthew Yiger was an African from Chad who had, limited, who had immigrated from, uh, there to Libya for work. And he'd been rounded up with all the rest, and he was not a believer that moment of time. But as he watched one believer after the other believer say, no, I will not renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Savior. I love him, and I'm not going to renounce him. They went to Matthew Yiger, and they said, Matthew, will you renounce your faith? And this is what Matthew said, their God is my God. They're kneeling right there at that place, Matthew Yiger. Confess Jesus Christ is his personal Savior. We see Christ's martyrs. We see the creepy messengers as we close tonight. I need to move very quickly. Notice in verses 12 to 17, very quickly, I want you to notice the cataclysmic meltdown. Now we're getting a glimpse of the tribulation period. And notice in verses 12 to 17, we see a meltdown of the elements. And he said in verse 12, I beheld, and when he'd opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became his blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casted out their untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. I mean, when the sixth seal is open, it represents a major cosmic meltdown. Listen, the world elements are in complete, total meltdown. Massive earthquakes. Something happens with the sun and the moon and the stars. In fact, in another passage of Scripture, we read that one-third of the day will be darkened. One-third of the day will be darkened. You can try to protect the earth all you want. You can, you can promote Earth Day and try to prevent global warming, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to stop what's happening here in verses 12 to 13. It's going to happen. Asteroids, maybe even stars, will fall from heaven. Verse 14, the heavens depart as a scroll when it's rolled together. Some believe that that perhaps represents a nuclear blast that will happen in the atmosphere. And when a nuclear blast happens, it folds everything out into a vacuum. It happens, and then it rolls back again. It's like an opening and closing of a scroll. And it might even be that the nuclear blast that happened in the sky is going to change the elements and change things, the atmosphere, causing the sun to appear darkened and the moon to become his blood. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. Joel chapter 2 verse 10 talked about it. Joel said this, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. When the disciples asked Jesus, When shall the end come? He told them, Matthew 24, 29, He said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Hey, listen, you read your Bible, and over and over again, Old and New Testament, we're told about the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and the earthquakes. What's that telling us there's going to be great cataclysmic meltdown all over planet earth and there's nothing there's no equipment there's no man that can stop it there'll be mayhem and then we see the men notice mankind 
Verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man. Hey, that describes everybody on planet earth. Kings and great men and rich men. Every man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. They're fleeing for escape. Foundations are crumbling. Nothing is safe. Nothing is secure. They're running for hiding. And notice verse 16. These people are running and hiding, and they're praying, but they're not praying to God. Notice they're praying to the rocks and the mountains. The Bible says, and they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that interesting? They're crying to the rocks to save them instead of crying to the rock of ages to help them. The invasive influence of the New Age movement brainwashes people to believe in themselves and to pray to nature. This week I was praying. Actually on Sunday and Monday, God put on my heart to pray for many different faith persuasions that are non-Christian, that God would give me an opportunity to witness to them. One of my church members called me this week and said, Pastor, I've got a client that's Jewish. She needs help for her daughter. I told her you can help her. I got the number and called the lady. She told me her daughter was experiencing very traumatic nights for several months. Right there in the spot, I went through a litany of questions. And I found out in the midst of this by question number five that she'd been going to New Age classes. And those New Age classes were permeating her mind. You listen to me tonight. You listen to me tonight, church. Get out of those Tony Robbins classes, those New Age self-help classes. Get out of this yoga stuff that you're doing. Because yoga is trying to encourage you to empty your mind. Listen, when I got saved, yoga was seen as a danger to Christianity. Now I've seen Christians embrace yoga. I'm not against exercise. I'm against this meditation stuff, TM and all that stuff, which basically is an avenue for the devil to attack your mind and make a stronghold into your life. You can say I'm, a, you can, you can say I'm an old fuddy-duddy. You can say I don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you one day, you're going you're to regret that you got involved with this new age stuff right now. You're going to regret it. You are regretting it. I've seen some of you, even some of you leaders in this church, I've watched where the New Age movie, the stuff, the stuff you've embraced, I've watched what it's doing to your family, what it's doing to your homes. It's affecting your decision-making in many ways you don't even know. It's a very subtle means that Satan is using to permeate and brainwash. Listen, New Age movement is nothing more than humanism in disguise. These people are praying to nature because you know what? That's what they were doing before the earthquakes happened. You can pray to your idols. You can pray to your wood and you can pray to your stone. You can pray to your money. You can pray to your car. But none of those things are going to help you. You better pray to the God of heaven who can help you. Then verse 17 summarizes the great tribulation. For the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? You can't stop it. It's on the way. Now I'm going to stop it because I'm done. We've seen these creepy messengers, four horse riders, that describe the world events, everything, a world leader, killings, economic collapse, cataclysmic meltdowns, death and carnage. We see that during this time, 
There'll be a remnant that'll get saved. But they'll be martyred for the faith. There's a great price to pay. And he culminates it by saying, the great day of his wrath has come. Who will stand? And I want to tell you this evening, there's a compelling message. You don't have to go through the great tribulation. You don't have to go through it. You say, Pastor, man, how much time are you going to be spending on the great tribulation? Hey, we need to know about it because it's in the word of God. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I'm going to tell you this. We need to know about this because some of us need to get back to the place of having the fear of God ingrained back in our hearts and realizing we run, our, we motion ourselves and live our lives as if like we turn on the alarm clock. We're just kind of animals in motion when we need to be living under the fear of the Lord because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm fearful God's people have lost the fear of the Lord. They've lost that reverence to God, that what a great judge and great God he is. And I said this morning, listen, when you get saved, that throne, of, that, that throne of justice becomes the throne of grace. But I remind you, it doesn't remove the fact he still will judge the world in righteousness. And I'm going to tell you tonight, there's a compelling message. One, I'm encouraged. And I want you encouraged. I'm encouraged that I'm saved. I'm encouraged that I'm going to heaven. I'm encouraged that if Jesus comes now, if he comes tonight, we're going up with him. Those who are saved are going up. We're not going to have to go through that. Hey, I've got news for you. If you're not saved, you don't have to go through that mess. You don't have to experience cataclysmic meltdowns. You don't have to experience being put to death and being shot on the street. You don't have to experience beheading. You don't have to experience a pandemic. You don't have to experience that because you can get saved right now and know that if Jesus comes, you can be going to heaven with Jesus tonight. Would you get saved tonight? If you've just gone through motions, you've just prayed a prayer. If you're somebody who says, well, I'm a Christian because my family's a Christian. Blood descent does not save you. The bloody death of Christ saves you. You cannot trust in your parents' salvation to save you. You need to trust alone in Jesus Christ to save you from your. And if you're a second generation person who thinks because mama and papa are saved, you're going to heaven, or because you're born in a Christian family, being born in a Christian family doesn't save you. You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. I'm talking to teenagers and college students tonight. You're a second-generation Christian, and you've gone through the motion, but you're not really saved. I'm telling you tonight, if you're not saved, tonight's a good time for you to get saved. I'm talking to some adults tonight. There's a compelling message. If we get raptured tonight and you're not saved, you're going to go through the Great Tribulation, and you won't get saved. You're going to believe a lie. Get saved tonight. You know why God put this here? Because he loves us. You know, sometimes a doctor has to be very clinical. Out of love, he has to tell us how devastating a disease is, how bad it will be, what the consequences will be if we don't get treatments and take the medicine, things of that nature, and they'll tell us out of love. And you know, sometimes our parents, when our parents have to deal with us when we're younger, they have to tell us how terrible something is so that we understand how horrible it would be, and, but they do it out of love. And do you understand tonight, God recorded Revelation 6 to 19 to give us a, an idea how horrific the tribulation period is. Why? Because God doesn't want you to go through that tribulation period. And so tonight, God wrote this out of love. And the compelling message is, you can be saved tonight. It's not the end for you, it's the beginning. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Tonight, as we close, Christian, get revived tonight. If you're not saved, Get saved tonight.